Okay, well, we've been doing a sermon series called Healthy Relationships. Pretty straightforward. There's nothing uh, left to guess. Um, Healthy relationships. And and as we start today, I want to ask you to think back for a second and just think back to the last time you felt seen and deeply known in a conversation you were in. When's the last time you felt seen and deeply known in a conversation that you were in? I know I have a few people in my life who do that well. My wife is one of them. Uh, but another one of them is, is my brother-in-law, the guy that married my wife's sister. He, uh, his name is Shelby. You ever have those people in your life, like they, they're so good at stopping what they're doing and stepping out of the world and into yours, it's almost offensive, you're like, I just feel like a selfish jerk when I'm around you. You know, like, like you've like pre-planned how you're going to care for me and love me. And I just came like, blah, 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 you know, like he's one of those guys. He's like, remembers the last conversation we have, seems to have come with like prepared, pre-prepared questions, you know, or something like that. And he just celebrates so well and listens and like steps into your world so well. Um, So I don't know who those people in your life are, but I bet you want to be their friend, right? Like you like to be around them. I don't know who those people are, but I bet they're good at being present with you. I bet they're good at asking questions. And I bet they cherish seeking understanding of what is going on in your world. Now, it's funny because we live in a culture that doesn't quite value seeking understanding, but rather seeks to be absolutely understood. We live in a culture we love to be heard. And I can make an argument that listening could be at one of the lowest points it's been in decades. Right? We often now make our boldest points and strongest opinions behind the courageous place of our computer screen or our cell phone. Right, so that we can feel heard, but if we're to be honest with ourselves, and even at times myself, we don't want to deeply hear others and their thought processes and their view of the world and where they're coming from. You see, we, we, we have a digital world where we have many of our hardest conversations online in 120 characters, and then we can just curate our feed to not listen to people that we don't want to listen to. Right, So if you don't like what they say, just unfriend and unfollow. And then what we slap on that unfriend and unfollow is we either call it justice or not walking in fear, depending on what side of the aisle you're on, right? And we're not the only ones who curate our feeds. We, uh, the, the social media platforms curate our feeds for us. They get you to hear and listen to what you want to hear. And on top of that, there's billions of dollars that create news stations that get you to hear an eye to hear exactly what you want to hear that play to our carnal desires to be frustrated, that play to our carnal desires to be understood, that play to our carnal desires to be right and to feel better than other people, right? This is a billions of dollars operation that's happening there. And and, and the listening problem is not just something that happens on social media or in politics or on media platforms. It happens in our everyday lives, in our work life. In fact, Harvard Harvard Business Review 
uh, recently stated this in an article they put out. They said, it can be stated that with practically no qualification, that people in general do not know how to listen. They have ears that hear very well, but seldom have they acquired the necessary oral skills in which would allow those ears to be used effectively for what is called listening. Harvard Business Review, you know? Uh, this, is, this affects all of us. And, and if we're to be honest, this inability to listen is affecting the very social fabric of our country. The very social fabric between political aisle sides, the very social fabric between different ethnic groups or culture groups, it's affecting the social fabric of our country. But not only that, it's affecting our friendship circles. It's affecting our churches. It's affecting our marriages. It's affecting our families. It's often affecting the very closest relationships that we care about. It's our inability to listen deeply to other people. And you better believe there are forces of darkness that are infusing and empowering uh, some of these conversations because his, his, and celebrating it because his strategy from the beginning was to divide and conquer. Yeah. And, and, and you see, we're hurting. I think all of us have hurt some in the last two years. Some of us have deeply hurt in the last two years. And it's not just because we're like nebulously divided. It's because at the deepest part of our longing as human beings, we have not only a desire, but a human need that's good to be seen and known and understood in some of the deepest parts of who we are. And let me say that's a good thing because we're made in the image of God and he made us that way. And so I really believe that foundational to healthy relationships is the ability to step out of our world and step into someone else's world through intentional listening. Now, honestly, when I first started hearing some things about intentional listening, I'm like, I got ears, I'm pretty good, I generally care, but this is a skill that has not always been easy to me because I'm a preacher by nature, right? I like to be heard. I got a lot of thoughts. I move quickly. I don't like to slow down, right? And I think that's true for all of us in some way or another, that this is, this is a growth area. And, and, and man, if we're unable to learn how to step out of our world and in someone else's world, especially someone that's different than us, our relationships are gonna struggle or be shallow at best or be destructive at worst. But I've got good news. In a divided and broken world where our relationships are kind of screwed up, there's another way. It's not the right or the left or the right political leader or the right whatever. It's the way of Jesus. It's the third way. You see, um, I believe as Jesus followers, we have an opportunity in a time when listening is going extinct to stand out in a broken and hurting world as people who are healers and people who love deeply because we learn how to listen deeply. I believe we're in an incredible time 
as followers of Jesus. That doesn't mean we're not going to be in pain. It doesn't mean we're not going to be hurt along the way. But I believe we're an incredible time as followers of Jesus. It's not the time to go hide in a corner or go just be mad like everyone else. Sure, there's some things we should be mad about probably in, in a healthy way. But this is a time we should step out and listen like never before. And I believe God can do incredible things if we'll know how to do it. And so this way we're talking about today is not just some pop psychology, but this is the very nature of who our God is. You see, from the beginning, we see God seeing, knowing, and asking questions. Today is going to be, normally we do like one deep dive and kind of one passage. We're going to be more of kind of a just biblical overview today. Um, We see him seeing and knowing deeply from the beginning. In the garden, in chapter three, he asked Adam and Eve, he said, where are you? He didn't come saying, what did you do? What were you thinking? I can't believe it. That's so foolish of you. No, no, he came and said, where are you? And then he came and followed up with another question. With Jacob, when God gave Jacob a new name because his name Jacob literally meant deceiver, he asked him, what is your name? He didn't, he wasn't suffering from memory loss. He was about to give Jacob a new name as he was taking Jacob's attention out and drawing him out intentionally through question asking. Moses, when Moses felt he had nothing to offer, he said, Moses, what's in your hand? A staff. I'm going to use the little you have. When uh, Elijah was running away from fear and hiding in a cave, God graciously asked, what are you doing here? Because he didn't want to just come and rebuke. He wanted to have a conversation with Elijah, a two-way dialogue. And when Job and his friends had, had aired out all their opinions about God and how God should work and how God should be and how life works as we're really good at today, God kindly came to Job and said, um, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? <laughs> with Isaiah... Here's Isaiah surrendered before the Lord, and God says, who shall I send? And something rose up in Isaiah because he was asked a question. I'll go. I believe God is asking that same question, who shall I send today? And he's causing things to rise up in you. When Ezekiel, the prophet, saw dry bones, God didn't come and say, you should have faith that these should live. He, he, he asked him, son of man, can, can these dry bones live? When Jesus saw a blind man, he said, what do you want me to do for you? Yeah. One of the places I love that we see this is in Genesis chapter 16, the story of Hagar. Now, Abram and Sarai were powerful people with a lot of money. They were, they were influential people. Uh, they were social media influencers. Just kidding. Uh, but, but they couldn't have a child at the time. And, um, and so Sarai said to Abram, hey, why don't you just have a child with our servant, Hagar, so that we can, you know, see this promise of God come to pass in our lives. And so 
And so they do this thing, which is not right and sinful, and kind of take advantage of Hagar. And it gets worse because after Hagar has, has a child, Sarai gets bitter and jealous and starts to absolutely use her power and authority to mistreat Hagar. And so it's, it's, it's an unjust and, uh, and not right situation. And so she has to flee. Here, is she, here she is a single mom having to flee for her life in this terrible situation that she's been abused and taken advantage of. Forgotten by Abram and Sarai, but God pursued her. And what did God do? He asked her a question. Verse 7 says this, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. I love that. God not only pursued her, and he asked her questions. And you see, he cared about what got her to this point. He said, where have you come from? He wanted to hear her pain. He wanted to hear the, the, the places she had been taken advantage of. He wanted to hear her loneliness. Where have you come from? And he said, where are you going? What's in your heart? What are your needs? Where are you going? God created a conversation and God, in the next few verses, blesses her and blesses the child. And at the end of the interaction of verse 13, I love, what Sarai, uh, I love what Hagar says. She says this, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. She loves that. Here's a slave woman who's mistreated and taken advantage of, and God uses her to get a name for himself. And it's the one who sees us. Did you know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? I don't know what you're going through today, but he sees you. He sees you. I love that. One, he sees you. Jen, he sees you. Jerry, he sees you. Jasmine, he sees you. He sees you. He knows what is going on in your world. I love that. And so we're invited as people made in his image to go out and do the same, to be question askers, to be people that see and listen and hear. Now, I want to acknowledge that when we hear this, we often look at relationships in our life and think, yeah, I'm glad we're preaching on this today because I'm going to send this message to my spouse, to my roommate, to my friend, to my parents, to my kids, right? Like, this is a good word for them. You know what I'm saying? I wish my roommates, my spouse, my friends, my kids, my parents, I wish they would listen to me, right? And I don't know your situation, and I know that some of us, there's legitimate pain, in some of our relationships. Because you can be in a close relationship and feel very alone. And if we're to be honest, some of us feel there right now. And so I, I want to, first of all, legitimize that feeling. We're going to get back to that in a second. But I want to remind us of two things. Number one, that life in relationships does not come by primarily or first seeking getting our own needs met. I really felt like the Holy Spirit was showing me, praying into this time, that there's some of us, 
We had some expectations of a friend, a spouse, a parent, a child, of how they would care for us, of how they would see us, of how they, and it may not even have been bad expectations, but those went unmet. And so in response to our expectations of being seen, known, and cared for, going unmet, we're withholding our care for them and kind of holding that hostage until they give us what we want and what we need. Then maybe we'll care for them in return. And again, I don't want to minimize the real pain in some of our relationships, but I really, <clears throat> I really felt like, and some of us, because that all we can focus on are the frustrations and the pain <clears throat> of expectations that haven't been met in, in our relationship. And so we're holding expectations of what they should be doing for us over their head. And so instead of a deep, vulnerable, reciprocal relationship, it's more of going through the motions of relationship and withholding our care and affection and seeing from one another. And I feel like the Lord has shown me that some of us, we're in deep cycles in our friendships, our roommates, our marriages, our families. We're in, some of us are in deep cycles of that. And I feel like God wanted to break some of those cycles today. God wanted to give us a new way forward today. <clears throat> you see, the way of Jesus is different. Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says this, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others, will he himself be refreshed? Right. Let me say that second part again. Whoever refreshes others, will he himself be refreshed? It doesn't mean we let go of our needs <clears throat> or so that some of our expectations aren't legitimate, that God doesn't want to uh, care for those things. But it means that if we are primarily seeking our personal refreshment and getting things from our family members or our friends or our spouse, we'll actually end up more empty. But if we will seek to refresh others and give first, God often meets us in that place. Now again, some of us, we, we've got pain because we feel alone <clears throat> even in some of our closer relationships. And so the second thing I want to say is the secret to knowing others and being known by others in a healthy way is first be being known by God. You see, if the deepest places in our hearts that we long for relationship, the deepest places in our hearts that we long to be known and have this constant presence with us who's loving, if we're trying to get that met, right, by a friend or a spouse or a family, ultimately, like, they're going to fall short. They're not God. What we need is a God who sees, and he does. Do you know God searches you out? Psalm 139 says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, behold, you, O Lord, know it all together. God wants to know you. God wants you to feel seen and cared for perfectly by him. I love what John Piper, he said this, deeper than knowing God is, be, is being known by God. What does that look like for me? <clears throat> it looks like taking my emotions or taking where I am and oftentimes the pain of being misunderstood because that happens in life and also happens as a pastor, taking that pain Instead of going and trying to grab what I'm not getting from others. Again, there's a healthy way to, and then we're going to get there in a minute. But first going to God and just sitting in silence with him. 
and, and lifting my eyes to him and taking what I'm feeling and thinking to him and saying, God, this hurts. God, I feel alone here. I feel misunderstood here. And just letting him love me in that place. Letting him draw me out. Sharing my heart with him and letting him be present with me. You believe, I really believe that, um, man, that, that being known by God is a foundation that we then have strength to go into imperfect and broken relationships, which will probably never be perfect, and then give generously without a long list of expectations of the person to give back to us. So from that place of being known by God, I, I want to look at this, this, this way of Jesus. How did Jesus see and know others? Three things that not only we're going to learn about who Jesus is, but we're going to learn three things that we can do and our simple practical pathway for us in our relationships to see and know others. And, and the first one that Jesus did and that we can be doing is being intentionally present or even emotionally present would be another way to say it. You know, it's possible to be present physically in a conversation, but not emotionally, mentally, or spiritually, right? Y'all have like been in those conversations or maybe been the offender in some of those conversations, right? You're there, but you're not there. You see, Jesus was present. He, he, he stopped at the woman at the well. He stopped with the woman with the issue of bleeding. When everyone was wanting, he stopped and he paid attention to one person. And in order to do that, he had to step out of his world in heaven and come into earth. For him to be physically and emotionally present as, as he wanted to be, he came out of his world. I mean, just, he was God, right? It's like, it's not even like, but an algae that was like remotely maybe kind of like, you ever seen the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? <laughs> right? If I got if, uh, this picture, right? They... they they were in their own world of being humans and, and big kids and all that. And they all of a sudden got shrunk out of their world into this world of like floating in a Cheerio bowl and being afraid of ants, right? Like they, they, they were in it one world and all of a sudden they went into another world where they had to be subject to all kinds of crazy things. Now, and that's an imperfect analogy because God didn't shrink and, you know, he's fully God and fully man, all that. I mean, that's a, <laughs> it's not a big theological point. But my point is that they went from one world to a whole more uncomfortable world, right? And they did it because they got shrunk. But God did it out of choice to love you and me. He set aside his comfort in heaven. I mean, can you imagine just on the throne, it's glorious, perfect, there's no sin, there's no junk, it's just awesome, right? He's secure, and what he, he emptied himself, Philippians 2, and became a form of a servant. Yeah. And what Philippians 2, Philippians 2, when it's talking about that, is that we should do the same. We step out of our world, which is very important, and all the important things, legitimately, you know, we have a lot going on, but stepping out of our world and becoming a, in the form of a servant in our relationships. Now, that's hard. <laughs> like this is, this is really, I was convicted <clears throat> by this uh, and I'm consistently convicted by this because there's a lot going on in our lives. But oftentimes there's underlying chaos, like we can't control every bit of the chaos in our lives, <clears throat> 
but we can control some. And, and, you know, so often what's happening, there's narratives and things below the surface that are keeping us from being present. So for example, oftentimes we wake up and the first thing we do is this, right? And so we're kind of peaceful. Hopefully we got a decent night's sleep. Maybe we're not peaceful because we didn't get a good night's sleep. And then we go up here, we're like, oh, all of a sudden, oh, what's this person doing? Oh, Instagram, okay, pulling it up. Uh, oh, Antioch, Salt Lake City, they're doing, a, they're doing a cool series. I should have done that series. I feel a little insecure. Well, let's check the news. Maybe that'll encourage me today. You know, maybe something good will come up. Maybe they'll put a scripture on the headline. It'll be awesome, right? Uh, maybe the, the Father heart of God will just come through to me, you know? And, and we're, we leave the first 10 minutes of our day feeling anxious and insecure about us. And so then we go into our first interactions kind of self-conscious and kind of like with these narratives in our head that we're not enough or whatever. And then I was like, dang it, I've been in my head. I got these work deadlines. I got people that have needs. My kids are pulling on me. I haven't been physically and emotionally present because my head's been in the sermon series. I should appreciate what, you know, and we're all over the place. And then all of a sudden, we're so worked up about our deadlines, we just want to escape our anxiety. So we just go back here. And it's a cycle that just keeps repeating again and again, right? And so then all of a sudden, your spouse or your friend or your parent or your roommate or your, you know, wants your attention and you're like, oh, you know, and like we're, we're physically there, but not mostly or mentally there, right? So what do we need to do? Stop. If we're going to be present with other people, we need to learn how to be present people, right? It's like you ever get on your phone and like, you know, maybe you got an older phone that's going slow, but then you realize how many windows you have up. It's like all these windows that just like, oh, I was looking at like all these things from like days ago, you know? And you got to stop and like get ready. You got to swipe. You got to re- get rid of some of those things, right? You know what I'm talking about? And so often we live with windows that are just open for days and weeks and months because we haven't even stopped to bring closure to some of our thoughts or insecurities or things that have happened. And so, man, we're living in a more connected world than ever. We have hundreds and hundreds of, of shallow relationships, but very few deep relationships. What we need to do is stop and be present so that we can be present with others. Okay, that's the first thing we learn from Jesus. Secondly, listening and question asking. Listening and question asking. Again, you see Jesus step to the woman at the well and he asked her some questions. You see Jesus come to the blind man and he says, what is it that you want me to do for you? He knew what was he doing? He was creating dialogue. He was drawing something out of them. I love the story of the woman of the well. He literally asked for a drink. As the woman was drawing out water, he was drawing out her heart. Do you know God wants to invite us to do the same, to draw out the heart of other people? Here's, here's, a, here's a secret. I'm going to let you in on listening, okay? Stop talking. It's like, it's, it's, right? It's like that, uh, I don't know if it's a Saturday Night Live sketch. They go to the counselor and pay him like big money and then the counselor's only advice is stop it, <laughs> right? 
So in love, we need to stop talking, right? I love the Australian composer, Alfred Brendel. He said, the word listen contains the same letters as the word silent. Thought that was cool. <laughs> now listen, this is hard. For, I'm a preacher by nature, right? My first date with my wife, I don't know how you think it went. Oh, she's, she's nodding her head. Man, she got vision for my life. She got, let me tell you all about me, you know, how awesome I am and all the great things about me and, you know, everything about me. She's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. She was gracious enough for a second date. It only lasted about six months. She broke out to me. I had to grow a little bit and then, you know, we, it, it worked. But, uh, but man, she, she got all of me, you know. Proverbs 18.2 says this, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Woo, let me read that one more time just as a prophetic word to our culture and our worlds. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. How would the last two years of our worlds look differently if we did this? If like we as a country did this, even if we as the church of Jesus did this, how would our world look differently? How would the relationships around us look differently if we're like, I'm going to do this one thing really well. I'm going to seek understanding. I don't really get where you're coming from. In fact, I think you're a little crazy, but like you're smarter than you, I know you're smart. So like take me in your world for a second, you know, like how would our world look different? And so what, what that looks like really practically, again, stopping talking and start asking. Here's a few simple questions we can ask in conversations. How did that affect you? I know this feels like elementary, but like when we're worked up or frustrated with someone or just like in the flow of busyness of our day, these are some simple tools you can pull out your tool belt, right? How did that affect you? Why do you think it affected you like that? Tell me more about that. I hear you saying, fill in the blank. Do I have that correct? You're not actually supposed to say fill in the blank. You get it. You know what I'm saying? What would make that better? Is there something I could do? Is there, is there a way? Is there something you're hoping for me in this conversation? What, what would help make that better? Okay. Last thing we see from Jesus, empathizing, empathizing. Here's a little definition of empathy. The ability to understand and share the feelings of another person. The ability to understand and share the feelings of another person. You know, the short, does anyone know what the shortest scripture in the whole Bible is? Jesus wept. Two words. Why was he weeping? It was because some of his best friends, Mary and Martha's brother had died, Lazarus. And he, saw, he said when he saw her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. He saw someone else's pain and he allowed, he's God. He could have been like, I'm sovereign. Don't you know he's gonna be raised from the dead? Like, like he was about to raise him from the dead. He could have been like, but he made himself vulnerable and kept his heart tender. 
so that he could feel someone else's pain. Now, he still had faith. He didn't let that overtake him completely. He still remained his own individual. He didn't become enmeshed with another person. But he, he felt someone else's pain. Romans chapter 12, verse 15, another thing that we can all grow, especially as a culture, in doing. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now listen, sitting, sitting with someone else in their emotion is hard. It's hard sometimes because when someone else is rejoicing, jealousy is at the door. I want to rejoice about my thing, you know what I'm saying? Or when someone is hurting, it's often hard because we oftentimes haven't learned to sit in someone else's pain or allow someone else to feel pain. Oftentimes we grew up in families that rescued us from our pain or we've learned to rescue ourselves from pain through substances, through social media, through achievement, through you name the thing, being in control. Allowing ourselves or someone else to sit in pain is, is a learned skill without trying to fix it right away. It also is hard to sit in someone else's emotion, especially if it's painful, because oftentimes their pain is coming from like a jaded view of reality or their pain's coming from, you know, maybe they're not walking in faith in that moment. Maybe they're not quoting a scripture next to it. And we're like, oh, but like God, but God, but God, you know, and we want to slap a scripture on it. We want to like make them feel better. We want to tell them the truth, you know, whatever. Oh, we want to tell them, well, here's another news article that's different, whatever. And... It's hard to empathize sometimes with someone that you disagree with, but Jesus did it. Yeah. Do you know Jesus healed some people who never followed him? He empathized with people that didn't believe the same as him. There's absolutely a place to speak truth, you know, in these empathizing, in these, in these conversations, but it takes wisdom and discernment on if how and when to do that. And often a great rule of thumb is be slow to speak, slow to anger and quick to listen. A great rule of thumb, where do I speak truth in this? Be slow to speak, quick to listen, right? And slow to anger. So a few just practical things on empathy. One, being willing to sit in their emotion without fixing it. Tell me about that, you know? Ask some questions. Ooh, that can get uncomfortable sometimes because you want to slap a fix on it. You want to make them feel better. You want to, and like sometimes there's a good heart behind that, right? But every person needs to go through their own process of pain and emotions. Secondly, repeat their feelings back using fresh words. They're saying, oh, I'm feeling mad. Oh, I hear that this is really bothering you and maybe it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's really frustrating to you, you know? Asking a question there, drawing that out. Drawing that out. <clears throat> Validate the significance of their mo- mo- emotion. Man, I could imagine why that was really hard for you. I could imagine why that was painful. I could imagine why you felt alone. I could imagine why you felt rejected. I could imagine why you're happy. <laughs> That's a big deal. You got a promotion. That's a big deal, right? Discern if and when or how it would be appropriate to speak truth without rushing to a fixing solution. Now, by the way, I, I'm like continuing to learn this. I'm a fixer by nature. I like to make it happen. I like to move forward. I don't like to slow down, right? So it is often painstaking for me along the way. Okay.
Crystal, want to come on up here? So something we will do oftentimes at the end of our day is we have a few questions. Um, you want to do the other one? Okay, great. Can I say something really fast? Go for it. This is my wife, Crystal. If you don't know her, she's amazing. Um, as Mark was talking about um, some examples in Scripture, um, just real quick, I, I wanted to share that um, I noticed that God asked people questions not when they were perfect. And the reason I say that is I think when people are messy and in sin and brokenness, the biggest thing they need is for somebody to step into that place. And I think um, for me sometimes it's difficult to go, oh, but if I start asking them questions in this place that they're really struggling in, and I'm not talking about struggling like hard things, but maybe a sinful place, that somehow they'll be validated in their sin. <laughs> and I have just found over the years that that's quite the opposite, that often the things that um, are perpetuating the patterns in our life is the loneliness and aloneness in those places. And that when we step into another person's world and just get to know them and hear, there's like, it's really powerful to bring healing to, the, to that person and also just depth of relationship. And I think in times that Mark and I have had patterns in, in our relationship of um, like wanting to have our fighting gloves against each other, like things that bug us about the other person. Um, it was when we started seeking understanding in those very areas that drove us crazy about each other that instead of having our fighting gloves on, we found ourselves on the same team. Um, and I know for me, it took a lot, a lot of the angst in my spirit to want to fight against him away when he could just understand and why I was doing those things. So I think empathy is really powerful to bring connection um, which he's already saying, um, but I just wanted to say that as we go into this next piece, because he's he's going to ask me. This is a this is a fight we had last night, and we did not do it well at all. So this is our redo, and um, but you're not gonna but you're gonna see like it, it was hard for me at first because I was like, no, I know I was wrong, but Mark's gonna like. Mark's going to try and um, gain understanding, but just know that I know that I had serious issues in this situation, okay? <laughs> I need you all to know that. I'm a one on the Enneagram, and I just need you to know that. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so this, this is an uh, area that we've had deep cycle in. I think we've made a ton of progress. No, we've done a lot, and he's way better than me. Uh, I don't know about that. Yes. But, yeah, we've had a ton of progress, but I feel like we kind of got in an old pattern yeah. last night and kind of afterwards they're like oh that was a little pattern you know we we went we did not go to bed in our anger but uh we didn't do the thorough version to flesh out yet so yes here we go uh, in front of you so um you can tell us who wins yeah no i'm just kidding uh i was kidding don't do that uh, great so uh, these things need to be a two-way dialogue uh, I'm going to model just one side of it because oftentimes one person needs to be fully heard and understood before we move to the other side instead of combating back and like, well, no, but blah, blah, blah. so anyways, take me in. Last night, I was hanging out with the kids. <clears throat> Some of you saw it on my Instagram. We were having a blast. Chris was getting a few things done in the house. I did not bring them in in a timely manner. Yes. So, yes. So in our <laughs> marriage, I am the timekeeper and Mark's the fun guy. And we've learned to try and become more of a team in that. And we have. But last night, we didn't do the best job being a team. So I was, like, ruminating in my anger at how late the kids were going to bed. And he was, like, hypering them up even more. And I was getting more and more and more and more anxious as the seconds went by. 
Take me into why that was hard for you. Okay, so I definitely like stormed out a couple times and was like, Mark, what are you doing? So that's what happened. Not that, she didn't yell at me. Well, I was not kind. So, um, so for me, what was going on is I was feeling a little claustrophobic because I knew my time to myself at the end of the day was getting smaller and smaller the longer the kids were up. I also know that our youngest gets really, really, like if she's up past a certain point, she's like past the point of no return and she'll just start wailing for like an hour. And I didn't have the capacity I felt like emotionally to deal with that. So I was feeling claustrophobic and anxious and afraid that I wasn't gonna get time to myself. And I was very frustrated that I didn't feel like you were taking that into consideration. Thanks for sharing that. She was actually the first to apologize last night, and I was still pretty frustrated. And I was about to sit down and work on my sermon, which talked about this. I was like, "Yeah, you were the dork on I am," this. you know. Uh, and yeah, I I feel like I kind of slipped in an old pattern of like, "Yeah, but last night," and so we're kind of like, "We'll talk about this later." And then I went back in. I was like, ah, "I apologize." So here we are. So could you? Um, thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, take me into, yeah. Um, you kind so of already you, asked me everything. You yeah, no, you shared. Too. So, um, <clears throat> you shared how that was kind of your window. What were some things that I was doing that made you feel like I wasn't caring for you? I f- felt like because, y- um, I really just that you weren't considering that I had asked several times for the kids to get moving to bed. And I guess I would just assume that you knew that meant something (laughs) for me, that it mattered to me. (laughs) And um, I recognized that you were having a lot of fun with them and I really value that. And if we were going two ways, I would ask you a question right now, we don't have time. Um, So yeah, I just didn't feel like you were listening to my words and I feel like the kids were listening to my words. Um, and that it didn't really matter. And I felt like my voice didn't matter and what my needs didn't matter. I think what you said at the end was really significant. You felt like your voice didn't matter and what you said didn't matter. How'd that make you feel? Uh, Unseen and unheard. (laughs) And we're right back, full circle. Yeah, conviction. Uh, I can imagine that. Um, Yeah, I think I wasn't attentive to how that could have impacted you until later in our conversation last night. So um, I can imagine you had a long weekend and soccer yesterday and all that. So I could imagine you were ready to have some time by yourself. Is there anything else you want to share in that? Is there anything you'd hope I'd do differently next time? Um, I hope that we would both just communicate better our needs next time, probably right at the beginning of the evening so that we could be on the same team. So. I agree. I definitely think we didn't communicate well, and then what happened from there is we kind of both went into our way of doing things separately instead of as a team. So I want to apologize for <clears throat> not being considerate and not hearing your voice and internalizing what you're trying to communicate in a way that actually led to action. And not, not really taking into account how important it is for you to have that time at night, which I understand, so... Thanks for sharing that. So again, if we have more time, I kind of, you know, she'd ask me some questions. We go two ways. 
Thank you. Thank you. She's awesome. Um, but hey, we thought we'd give you some live time. You know, uh, this is real life. This is real life, and this is what healthy relationships are built on, is stopping enough to really care. And, and like at the beginning of the conversation last night, I was not present enough with myself to even know how frustrated I felt, so I kind of was like, burr, 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 you know. So, um, okay, as we wrap up, some of us, you know, some of us, um, God is speaking to us about some patterns in our relationships. And I really believe God wants to break some relational patterns of habitual self-seeking instead of others seeking. And that takes repentance. And, and some of us today, we, we need to repent just like I did it after our initial short conversation, which ended briefly because it wasn't going the best. I went into the room because she'd already repented. I went back and repented and it was like, ah, I didn't do that well. I'm sorry. Um, some of us, we need to repent and embrace a new way, this way, Jesus' way of, of doing relationship. Um, and some of us, that means some better boundaries with our technology. Some of us, that means better boundaries with our work, our anxiety. There's been times I'd have to sit for five, ten minutes with my hands on the steering wheel <laughs> before I walk in the house. I'm like, oh, i got to unload some of this stuff to Jesus before I go home, before I walk to the front door. And some of us, there's a real legitimate place of, of feeling alone in some of our relationships. And because that's the starting place, um, John, if you want to come up here, <clears throat> I just want to sit first before we deal horizontally. I want to go back vertically. vertically. And I just want to take that maybe feeling of being alone or misunderstood or unseen. Because like I said, no person can ultimately give us what we need, although there's some validity there. It starts in the presence of God. <clears throat> so I want to say, John is going to just play keys for a second. I want to just sit quietly before the Lord and just take whatever relationship that is or whatever place that is, or maybe it's a general feeling of feeling alone. I want to just take that before God, and then I'm going to lead you through a couple of things. So, Father, we just sit quietly for a second and acknowledge the real pain that some of us have in relationships. Before we look to others or point a finger at someone or even look to what we should do differently, we take this pain to you, God, and it's real. you to fix your eyes on, on Jesus now. In the midst of that, fix, fix your eyes on a loving Father. Who understands. Who searches you out. Lord, you have searched me 
and you have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it together. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed and Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God, you form my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. God can meet us in our aloneness. He can know us in that place.